This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. I'm the editor-in-chief of BNE IntelliNews, and today I'm joined by um, Ivan Takachov. Uh, he is the economics editor at uh, RBC, one of Russia's uh, leading business newspapers and probably the smartest uh, business journalist in all of Russia in my book. <laughs> uh, he's going to give us hopefully a bit of a, a download on the latest on the sanctions, economic impact and market stuff. I'm also joined by Elena Ripova, who those of you who have been here before, you know, is a regular guest. Um, she's the deputy chief economist at the International Institute for Finance in Washington a think tank that's um, with a, she's got a specialism on, well, emerging markets and, and knows Russia well itself. Um, Ivan, let, let's start with you because uh, this has been out of the blue. The sanctions that Russia's been hit with were far in excess of anything that we were expecting. And moreover, we were expecting, I think, the European Union to do its usual thing of discussing, debating, and then watering down the sanctions as special interests like the Austrian banking sector or German gas companies uh, put their two cents in and defanged the sanctions. And that hasn't happened. And moreover, the sanctions on the central bank reserves, that's totally out of left field. That wasn't even discussed before. And it seems that the Kremlin has been caught with its trousers down while it prepared for an attack on its you know, US assets. It seems that the central bank wasn't expecting its European central bank assets to be frozen. And so it's lost half its reserves, over $300 billion. Is that your reading on it? Were they surprised? Were they caught out? Um, yes, Ben, I think you're absolutely correct. I agree with you. I think that, well, certainly these sanctions uh, are unprecedented uh, because of its, you know, first of its kind, uh, a very high degree of multilateral coordination. I know that that's what Elena pointed out recently uh, in her tweets, uh, that this is the key feature of the sanctions. Uh, so, and while the sanctions from the US, uh, European Union and UK are not exactly uh, the same, uh, they are equally strong, decisive, with less than usual number of, you know, carve-outs and grandfathering provisions. Um, so, and of course, I think that, you know, Russian government really has been preparing for some sort of sanctions. And I think that uh, it's clear to me that Russian Prime Minister Mishustin was honest when he said recently that Russia has been preparing for months to such Western sanctions in response uh, to DNR, LNR recognition. Um, so we see that some emergency decisions which are currently being taken by Russia, uh, you know, it, it is not where the government is improvising. This is some pre-planned uh, things. But I, I think, I actually think that uh, Russian authorities could not expect such severe sanctions as you as you've been absolutely correct as mm. uh, blocking uh, virtually all Western-based based assets of Central Bank of Russia. And if you if you recall, for example, some finance Russian finance ministry comments, I guess a half year ago or so, they uh, they were clearly 
preparing for some sort of maybe US, uh, US dollar uh, assets freeze, but not euro assets, of course, euro denominated assets, because you know that that's what they called euroization of, uh, you know, yeah. uh, reserves, trade, and so on. So shift from so, U US dollar to euro. Can I, I, can I ask both of you? Yeah. It, it's not actually clear. I mean, Borel said 50%. I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes, yeah, can you repeat, please? Yeah, good. There was some discussion. I was saying that mm -hmm. it's not clear exactly how much of the reserves have been frozen, but Borel said 50%. In their estimation, we're talking about 310, 320. Is that sure now? Is that money actually gone? I mean, uh, or because uh, it's yeah. the, 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 the data we have is six months old. And so there was an opportunity to move a lot of money around in the last six months. But it seems, I mean, do, do we have any idea if the CBR did that? Yes, yes, I see. So we do not know exactly, of course, uh, what was uh, European head of diplomacy, Borrell, uh, said. He said that about half of financial reserves has, has been, is being blocked, right? Mm. I think that financial reserves is the international reserves of Central Bank of Russia without uh gold without gold holdings so i guess half uh, of financial reserves would be around i think uh 250 billion dollars of right elena uh, we, we were talking about this before i mean there's yeah. various holdings there's cash in correspondence accounts i think that's around 150 yeah, you know you know that yeah the, the main problem was that um you know this is a sort of two-edged sword for central bank of russia because you know uh, it could not really shift uh, much of its reserves to uh, yuan or gold uh, assets, which are not at risk of being blocked. Because you know that has that has little practical sense in terms of central banks' firepower to conduct a fixed uh, foreign uh, currency interventions, you know, to prop up ruble. So I mean, if it. Uh, in theory, you know, shifted all of its reserves to, let's say, gold holdings based on Russian territory. That would be absolutely impractical, you know, because uh, so, uh, you know, the Russian forex uh, forex market is uh, mainly dollar based, and yeah. even even you know, euro euro trades are quite small, uh, relatively small. And they uh, have to invest into something. I mean, and you can't just uh, you know put it all into Russian T bills. Um, tell me though um, that the previous, you know, six forty-three, I think it was billion that they had in total. That's equivalent to seventeen months of import cover. And what's happened now? If you, you know, it's been halved. But then, if you count out the um, the money that's been frozen, assuming fifty percent, then that still leaves you with around six months of import cover. If I was calculating, maybe nine. Uh, but that means there's still lots and lots of money in in reserve. Elena, can I bring you in here? I mean, you, you've been we've been talking about this. I mean, the the, the reserves that the CB has, CBR has, even so, after that money's been taken, is, is yeah. still plenty. And there won't be imports. So you know, the imports that we saw the <laughs> last year, there will not be imports. There will be imports. I think the contraction of I don't know thirty percent on imports is 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 very much possible, if not more. Uh, I think we should be looking at the contractions and imports uh, compared to, to 98 to early 90s. 
Uh, I don't think any other sizes of comparisons uh, are relevant. I think 2014, 2008, uh, which we were we already past that. Um, so yes, yeah, so the coverage of course improves that the economy collapses, you will have no imports. Also people have already stopped the increasing number of companies stopping working on uh, with Russia, partially because of compliance risk, but also right. partially of their, of their political uh, stance on the, on the war. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so they, so they, that improves reserves coverage, right? But and at the same forget. time, we've we've got like record current accounts uh, surplus, 120 billion or 125 this year. So money's pouring in. So to some extent, they can replace this, and the balance of payments will only improve. So that number, that record current account surplus, will only go up. So it's going to be able to replenish its coffers. Not super. Well, then you but... know this is a crisis, and the piggy bank is very tempting. You know who who's the first yeah. one who runs the piggy bank? You know will will get some, and the last ones in the queue won't. Uh, of course, the authorities, I think, will try to prioritize individual depositors, and that's where we are now. Uh, but we do not know when it, they will stop, whether these measures will stop the conversion. You know, the existing, uh, they might de demand all their FX deposits uh, more or less in cash. And we know that mm. in Russia cases, dollarization jumps 10 percentage points very easily. That has, in, even in 2008, jumped in a matter of weeks. Uh, yeah. So in a 10 percentage point increase in dollarization is 100 billion. Um, and then if they you know, would like to withdraw in cash, especially their FX deposits, uh, unless you, you're ready to freeze it, that again will drain out 200 billion from the system if so, they say take up everything. But Ivan, specifically on that point, that does seem to be one of, you know, it does seem on balance that the reserves that the CBR retains are sufficient. However, um, you were writing about it and I blatantly stole from your piece. Um, but one of the weak points is there's a big mismatch between the dollar liabilities in the banks and the dollar assets in so much as they've got about 146 billion dollars the banks in cash but they've got 280 billion dollars in uh, deposits which could be called and although the state's going to work hard in order to stop a run i mean that that's um, that, that differential that ratio is uh, equivalent of just over 17 percent which has for a capital adequacy ratio is usually sufficient. However, there is going to be a demand specifically from VTB and Sparebank, which are now no longer allowed to operate. And so you're actually going to have 100% demand for those dollars in those two banks, which I think comes out at around 90 something billion dollars in so much as if they've got half of that 48, they simply don't have enough. They're going to have to go to the central bank and ask for 60, 50 60 billion dollars in dollar cash in order to meet the demand from their um, from their deposits and that's just the retail if you add in the corporate it gets even bigger you're talking about 100 billion dollars demand uh, for dollars that the central banks can have to cover if there isn't going to be a banking crisis but is that going to happen i mean there've been long queues already and haven't they already started introducing some sort of controls and withdrawal limits i mean what, what's going to happen this is there going to be a banking crisis um, yes, you are correct. Uh, there are already queues uh, for the ATMs to withdraw uh, dollar cash, uh, uh, to withdraw rubles, um, and uh, there are uh, there have been in, there have been introduced some limits for cash withdrawal. You are correct. For example, in Sberbank, I think you could uh, can withdraw. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe two hundred dollars at, at once or so. But, you know, um, I don't think uh, the banking crisis, you know, you, can happen really because, well, first of all, as, have, as you have already said, the central bank uh, and commercial banks uh, have accumulated much of dollar cash 
at its coffer, at their coffers. Um, so in December 2018, uh, the central bank reported it had uh, around, um, I guess, I guess uh, 30, 30 uh, billion dollars of cash uh, and uh, more dollar cash with commercial bank banks. So uh, at that time, uh, then it stopped reporting that they, this data, by the way. Um, so I, oh, I, I think that, of course, uh, you know, all uh, FX deposits won't be called, uh, you know, at, at once. Uh, and I guess already also that, uh, you know, some big corporates, I think, in, in time of, uh, you know, this, some crisis events will be asked just not to withdraw dollar deposits. I mean, yeah, no, that's the advantage of having a lot of state-owned companies in that 280 that's in deposit is that they must account for a very large chunk yeah. of that dollars and they could just be told, leave it, don't touch it. But um, stepping back with the specifically last thing on the central bank uh, freeze, that <clears throat> it's extremely painful, incredibly expensive. However, in terms of wounding Russia, of actually forcing it to do anything, the central bank still has enough to work. It still has effectively enough money to sanction proof in this particular regard, the economy. <clears throat> and so um, it, can, it can carry on. There's, we're not expecting any drastic uh, re repercussions from this, are we? Well, I think we do expect drastic repercussions from the sort of conjuncture of all the sanctions. I think we need mm. to start thinking about completely new paradigm here. And you even saw the communications and central bank, they're still trying to manage the situation in the technocratic way, which is a great response. Uh, but if this situation drags on, we need to start thinking in terms of uh, Venezuela, Iran, I'm not hoping not, not North Korea, but this is a completely different level of economic engagement with the rest of the world where um, as you heard some of the statements that once SWIFT, you know, happened, you know, there is there are conversations of a trade embargo type of sanctions. So uh, I think it's very difficult to stabilize the situation if you're still thinking that you're going to go back to a more open economy. That is one way of managing the situation. But if you're beginning to think that that's it, we're going Iran, Iran direction, then it's a very different way of managing the economy. And it's also different demands that will come on the central bank from the authorities. Uh, so what is, are the know, concrete differences then? I mean, between a Russia as a European country, which it has been with open current account, to uh, an Iran style account? What, 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 a fully what closed capital account and very limited trade transactions based only on commodities. Uh, and then likely pressure on the central bank to print money. Mm. So does that really sort of undo all of the prospective prosperity? I mean, I was just writing this morning that, you know, going into to 2020, the economy was doing fantastically well and real incomes have suddenly started to rise and stock market was doing blinding, hadn't been that high in five years at least. And then suddenly you're saying that we're going to go to this hermit state. Uh, and it's going to have limited trade. Um, the economic growth has been constrained in a way that, you know, we now had subpar growth before, but now it's it really going to be um, unable to grow um, going forward until this, as long as this regime is on, no? 
I think we unwound the last 20 years. Um, we're going back to the 90s, but unfortunately, like Strugatskis, we're traveling the wrong direction in time. And I think that's yeah. what worries. The 90s, there was hope of opening up and sort of uh, benefiting from global trade, of course, sank, um, crisis, but eventually after 98, there was prosperity. Uh, but now we're in the 90s, but sort of traveling the opposite direction towards independent payment system, independent uh, a domestic financial system, independent circulation of foreign currency. Uh, they can lock in foreign currency circulation in Russia, without, even though they're sanctioned externally, they can try to use that. They can try to use gold um, of some sort of swap, so they can try to physically sell gold. And I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, Iran, Iran, Iran will correct me if I'm wrong, has, uh, has tried that in the past, that uh, was planes. Uh, so that's the, that's the direction of travel. You could also have uh, freezes, and there were some comments today of foreign assets in Russia as well. I think that is also not an inconceivable scenario, and that will scare any foreign company even further from transacting with Russia. Well, they're pulling out, aren't they? I mean, BP just sold and, and well. left, Ross left, and uh, Shell just announced they're pulling out, and uh, several others, I think. I mean, there's a sort of exodus of these partners, and BP is particularly shocking because that was BP's access to crude. Ivan, I mean, moving sideways. Yes. Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just just by one point about central bank reserves, I please. Forgot. Uh, well, perhaps uh, you knew, uh, you saw that today the uh, Russian government announced that it would uh, spend around 1 trillion rubles from its national well-being fund mm -hmm. uh, to buy uh, back some, uh, you know, stocks of public companies and so on, uh, on stock market, on open stock market. So, and that's what, I mean, I mean we... we uh, we should speak about uh, for uh, central bank reserves, not in terms of just uh, its capacity to conduct fixed interventions to prop up ruble, but mm. also, uh, you know, mm, that uh, foreign currency liquidity that uh, is with the, with uh, Russian sovereign wealth fund, um, those uh, euros, uh, yuan's, and gold uh, has been placed have been placed. Uh, with the central bank, and it's uh, the essential part of international reserves uh, managed by Bank of Russia. So actually, um, I understand that uh, this euro-denominated part of uh, Russian sovereign wealth fund placed with central bank of Russia has been frozen too, um, uh, and uh, the United States um, explicitly uh, prohibited uh, their national well-being fund of Russia, uh, prohibited U.S. persons from transacting with uh, national well-being fund of Russia. So I think that uh, this is the question where where they will take this one trillion rubles, uh, because uh, they they just must uh, sell probably yuan-based assets, which are left yes non-blocked, uh, probably sell gold. Uh, but I think there will, will be some issues with that. There will be pro problematic uh, because of liquidity issues, because uh, they probably could not find uh, proper buyers uh, at fair price, you know, for gold divestment. So, I mean, uh, we don't know exactly. Uh, there there hasn't, haven't been um, statements from the government on how they will uh, get this one trillion rubles, you know, from the national okay. well-being fund. But I understand that we, we will have to sell some gold and some yuans from it. 
Tell me, um, you wrote again, I think yesterday or recently, um, about the banks, because another part of why these sanctions are so crushing is they've come in tandem. I mean, Lena made a great point the other day, is that the sanction proofing with all the reserves um, was designed to deal with um, a cascade, a series of sanctions, which you know in the past have been put in one after the other and scaled up. And what's so debilitating about these sanctions is that they've been very harsh, but they've all come at once, causing maximum damage, maximum panic. We've seen what's happened to the ruble, we've seen what's happened to the stock market. But the SWIFT um, sanctions, again, it's not a blanket ban. They're going to leave some holes. Um, and I think it was uh, von Leyen or Borrell said that they didn't want to punish the Russian people. So here in Germany, we have 8 million Russians and they want to send money home to their, their babushka, dedushka. And at the same time, Germany has to have the ability to pay for its gas imports. So they're going to leave some banks back in SWIFT so that they can function. But he also said it's designed to do maximum damage. And, and targeting VTB and Spare seems to be extremely damaging. But again, the connection, the financial connection through SWIFT has not been cut off completely. I mean, so that will you know, bring some oxygen to the Russian economy, will it not? Can I just so point out, I think Ivan, he's not connected to Twitter, so people are not hearing him on Twitter. Ah. Uh, so my, Ivan, maybe you want to connect quickly uh, on the spaces uh, and unmute yourself. I mean, but in the meantime... Know, so we've been having problems with Twitter connection. Uh, yeah, right. because, ah. because they uh. intentionally slowing it down. So I use the VPN uh, service to, to get access to Twitter. Okay, so, so for those listening okay. on Twitter, Ivan yeah. cannot connect properly because he's using VPN and his connection is being slowed down. So people just, you know, if you have quiet periods, it's uh, yeah. it's because Ivan oh, is on. having difficulties to access. I've Twitter. got a workaround. I've got a workaround. So um, I'm going to invite Dave, and then he can um, use his Twitter access to. Um, <laughs> In the meantime, we can uh, respond to your. Well, I mean, I mean, welcome, welcome to the new Russia. Yeah, if I switch on my VPN, I think I will have I will lose connection with with you, probably. So Ivan, it's great that you're still in the room there. So that's that's we're yeah. happy no, about no, that. No, we, no, um, <laughs> we we're going to do it via my colleague Dave, and um, he yeah he's just connecting now. So hopefully um, you'll be able to hear Ivan. If so he Ivan, I'm sorry. Me. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I right. can talk about Swift in the meantime. So yeah, okay, the... just Elena, Elena, let, let's, yeah, let's so... listen. So I think SWIFT gives room for further escalation. And I think we, we should not forget there is further escalation. You know, that mm -hmm. I think everybody is sort of, uh, sort of it's, it's only Tuesday. Um, uh, it's, it's gonna get worse potentially. So there is room for further escalation of disconnecting individual banks. I think it was, a, it, was a, an, it was a shrewd way of doing it in a sense that you start with certain banks, see the, what happens, and then you go further rather than disconnecting full of Russia and then trying to figure out that insects, whatever insect sounding of uh, institution that they tried to do for Iran that only had one transaction in its lifetime. So, so I think it's, it's important that they kept some banks for continued transactions, see how this works through the system. And if mm -hmm. they need to, they can continue sort of tightening. Also through SWIFT, uh, you can try to actually then, even if you could disconnect majority of the banks, you can start, still carve out the energy 
you can now tighten that as well because there is a very broad range of things that you know so that we can still transact on with, with Russia. You can tighten that out, and so via SWIFT you can try to sort of sift through transactions like that, and and especially bulky energy payments, they probably would be able to see and be able to clear them. Yeah. Um, so so it's, it's the beginning. That's what I'm trying. Well, to when we talked about this, you and I specifically in the run up, trying to see what would happen, we kind of discounted. Um, the swift ban because um the energy payments was a problem and then we also discounted the war so <laughs> yeah who, who saw that coming i mean i thought it was possible but who thought they'd actually go through with it but um not the baseline yeah but uh, counting out the energy uh, sorry the the swift but we don't actually know which banks i mean ivan uh, you're online now um by my colleagues so they can hear yeah. you on twitter i hope but um, we don't actually know which banks have been hit. I mean, we do know Spare and VTB. Uh, and, and in fact, I th I've been told that the cards have already stopped working. Um, yeah. But we don't know the full list. So like Elena says, I mean, is it going to be they're going to start with the two biggies, which is already extremely painful, and then progressively introduce more? Or do we have any sense or feeling about how that's going to work? Yeah. Yes, uh, I, I would not go over. My mic's not unmuting on Twitter Spaces. I've got to reconnect. Sorry oh, okay. to interrupt. Okay, look, uh, do you need me to re-invite re you? Yeah, I'm going to have to reconnect and get re-invited. Bear with. All right, just uh, hit me on Skype and I'll do that. Sorry, guys, we're having some technical problems. Too. I've sent you a yeah, request, yeah. quick. Oh. I got it. Okay. Okay, so now. I think it's a good example of what's happening with SWIFT right now. You know, people, a few people ask me, so what's the big deal? We're going to figure out what's the different bank we can work with. You know, they've disconnected some banks, they will transact by others. You know, if we're having troubles connecting via Twitter now uh, to Ivan, he's on VPN, then another person is trying to call him. Imagine what kind of SWIFT yes. discussions are happening across the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a very good example of what's happening on SWIFT. Exactly. I'm connected now, so who wants to speak? Yeah, so Ivan, go ahead, so you're connected. You need to so, unmark that, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I would not overestimate the SWIFT ban right now because uh, as far as I understand, first of all, uh, uh, all the sanctioned banks would be disconnected from SWIFT. Uh, yes, I saw that Germany had indicated uh, that there probably will be some SWIFT disconnections for some unsanctioned banks. Which is quite strange for me, to me. But uh, and I'm sure that of course uh, there wouldn't be some blanket ban on SWIFT, you know, from the whole Russian banking sector because of course it will um, put to risk uh, the energy trade and the broader commodity trade of Russia with the West. So, but uh, what what I what I wanted to to say to note um, that actually uh, you know over the past days we. Uh, we in Russia started to fear of, uh, you know, probably some um, export-related sanctions on Russia. I mean, uh, you could see that uh, can Canada was the first country to announce uh, effective oil import uh, embargo mm. related to Russia. So, of course, there are um, negligible amounts of oil imported being imported to Canada. But I think that that could be some hint that the West probably may be thinking, thinking of, uh, you know, disrupting just maybe at least part of energy trade. So, yes, I understand that uh, the West depends on Russian uh, oil and yeah. gas and so on. But if you recall, uh, you know, the United States 
had mobilized uh, alternative sources for uh, gas shipments to Europe recently. So, and I, I think that probably they could be talking to, I don't know, Saudi Arabia or what to, you know, to replenish uh, those volumes lost from, from Russia, for example. Now that, that's obviously an, an, another upshot of this is that Russia and Gazprom in particular have been working very hard to get these long-term contracts. I mean, they're, they're looking, you know, how are we going to sell 100 years worth of Yamal gas? Um, and that's probably going to be one of the most severe long-term consequences is that the diversification away, rapid and complete diversification way to an extreme yeah. extent is going to accelerate. Here in Germany, uh, Scholz already announced that they're going to build the first two LNG terminals. Yeah. Germany doesn't have one and they're going to rapidly do this. Not that there's enough LNG around to, to meet European demand. Can we move again um, on to growth? Um, this 20% hike by the CBR, I remember in 2014, they put a 17% emergency hike in order to stop the ruble, which was in free fall. When they did, it went from 100 and whatever it was, eight back to, I think it was 96. Um, however, I'm just looking at now and it's back to 104. Um, and more importantly, this 20% interest rate uh, by the CBR is going to completely hobble economic growth. Um, and where we were expecting 2.2, 2.4% GDP growth for this year, um, Capital Economics came out with a note and said like recession, 5% contraction. And prolonged recession seems to me because of devalued ruble and at the same time extremely high interest rates are just going to kill growth debt i mean what's the outlook now where do we go from jump in, suddenly up I, yeah. i'm itching to jump in because um, <laughs> i mean it's very hard to do point forecasts but i think it's minus 20 minus more uh, on the russian economy and it's not even 20 percent 20 percent contraction or more i mean this uh, year this year, I mean, this. <laughs> I'm. I don't want to. I may. I maybe will end up eating my Russian hat uh, on the wrong uh, forecast. And I'm. I, and as like all of us, we've done plenty of those, <laughs> and they're sitting in there somewhere in the closet. They're hiding there. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to say, it will be a dramatic contraction, and again, we're not thinking about it as a standard economic contraction. But even we in have... 2008, we went from seven percent growth to seven percent contraction, a fourteen point move, and so. You're saying we did, at the time we were, we were at the time we were having difficult economic transformation and we do not know exactly how much of a, a real contraction happened from the sort of Soviet economy which had to contract and there was also no real economy there to contract because probably uh, there was negative productivity growth right and uh, and very much sort of depleted um, uh, overestimated capital stock at the time so so but we're basically going from one economic structure to a completely different one where we're close. Um, mm. And I think that's what causes this big contraction because um, it, this is the, the things work, of course, imports will contract massively, so that will help you a bit. But in terms of, imp uh, let's not forget that the big chunk of domestic production comes from imports. So imports are an important part of the value chain of a lot of our industrial output. Um, uh, so an import substitution in those areas just will not happen. I mean, you cannot, you can substitute but the imports cheese, but it's- can continue. The problem is just being able to pay for them, but the actual, I mean, they're going to hit some high technology uh, bands. A and lot of companies will not work with Russia anymore. Because Even of compliance. It's politically toxic. It's politically toxic and you do not know what the next level of sanctions will be. Yes, correct. 
know, there is some political and economic combination of factors behind the recent decisions of some Western companies, you know, to stop completely trade with Russia. Because uh, on, the one, on the one hand, uh, the substantially weaker ruble, you know, prevents those companies from uh, exporting to Russia because there's just wouldn't be any demand on this, you know, um, the pur purchasing power of, you know, uh, Russians uh, has been er eroding. Uh, and also, of course, there are the political considerations uh, and uh, the, um, the problem is that Russia overall becomes toxic, really. Uh, and as, as far as we can see, you know, there is already some overcompliance by Western banks in terms of sanctions. There is sanctions uncertainty uh, and, uh, you know, sanctions risk just every day, which are being escalated. So that, that is a problem, and we have already um, feel some acute shortages of, for example, uh, Western-sourced cars, uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, the Western automakers uh, suspended shipments of cars to Russia, and so on. Um, so, and there is, of course, fear that, you know, we, uh, we have some shortages of uh, some, you know, critically important consumer products from the West, uh, like, you know, for pharmaceuticals or so. So and it's not I just the, the just, block. Go ahead, please, Elena. Elena. Yeah, there is also massive regulatory uncertainty. Ben was spent in Ivan last last night <laughs> trying to figure out what does it mean we cannot pay foreign uh, foreign debt. You know, half a day they took them half a day to clarify, but effectively that could have meant that Gazprom cannot honor its external uh, external debt, right? The way the, the the statement was worded in Kremlin would sound that you know that we cannot pay on any external debt. Uh, so, and imagine the corporate treasury is sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to do trade with this country. Yeah. Uh, no external debt. Then there was, I think, another announcement today of, of similar kind. Uh, I already forgot what. And they will keep on coming um, as also the domestic regulatory uncertainty settles. Freezing of, ah, there was the talk of potentially seizing assets of foreign companies. Uh, I think Nishustin, maybe they made a comment like that uh, today. Um, that will scare also a lot of foreign traders. Yes, yes, yes. I will, I will clarify this, Elena, please, if you want. Um, today, Prime Minister Mishustin announced that, uh, you know, that Russia is prohibiting uh, foreign investors from uh, disposal of their assets in Russia currently. So we understand now, uh, this is not fully clarified right now, but we understand that this is related exactly to, you know, BP's share in Rosneft, for example, which they wouldn't be able just to divest right now. Uh, so this is some artificial way, you know, to arrest uh, the um, capital outflows. Uh, this is uh, officially was explained uh, by that. Uh, so let's give some foreign investors some time, you know, to stop panicking and, you know, to rethink it over, to think it over about whether they should exit Russia or not. Um, so actually, I'm, I mean that actually this is an effective asset freeze, asset freeze in response of uh, you know formal asset freezes of Central Bank of Russia, for example. Can, can because I ask the foreign investor would not be able to exit Russia right now. The at the moment in uh, in Gomel uh, at the border between Belarus and, and Ukraine, there are talks going on, and uh, the Russians asked for these talks and said they want to conclude a deal as fast as possible. And my whole sort of working model of how this is working is that Putin's, you know, holding a gun to Ukraine's head to get a security deal, um, and that the whole invasion of Ukraine was just the next level up after diplomacy failed, and that actually they are dead keen on getting a deal because I think Putin must be aware, even if he has gone mad, that um, 
he's burning through his political capital in addition to all the economic problems uh, that he cannot sustain this. And that there could be a possibility, because they, they said to Ukraine, accept neutrality, and Ukraine said uh, that they were interested in talking about this and accepted it as a possibility. And that there is a scenario whereby this whole thing could be over by the end of the week. You know, that deal's agreed, the Russians stand down, change the constitution, whatever, it takes a little time. To what extent are all these sanctions already set in stone? Because there's a lot of talk. But it seems to me that you know, the threats have been made, the intentions are clear, but the implementation, to what extent are they already in place? I know spare banks cards are not working already and that all the compliance people have stopped sending things, but you know, this is all reaction psychological. You know, to what extent are we already beyond the point of no return? Well, I think these sanctions can be scaled down. And Ben and Ivan, I much prefer to be very amateur virusologist as opposed to amateur defense analyst. <laughs> so no, but these sanctions, is, these sanctions is possible to escalate, de-escalate and escalate if uh, there is a change in situation. So these sanctions uh, will be painful to unwind just because uh, everybody has moved on. But also let's not forget that when uh, Iran's sanctions were unwound as part of the nuclear deal, business didn't really come back and forth you know it yeah. then takes a long time for business and it comes back at a much lower level and that's when the disconnection happened again 2018 remember we, it was not as painful uh, because there were already not so many companies engaging actively with iran so i think that is the problem um and um, the peace talks are ongoing but we know that the bombing of the cities is also ongoing yeah, um, yeah pressure so that's to, to how, how long will it take to unwind the 20 percent rate hike i mean the, the the one in 2014 took like five years uh wouldn't it be like the same sort of time scale i worry if we're gonna have more hikes so it's i'm at that camp further. i don't know what Ivan is thinking and the ruble i mean both of you because the ruble went back to 96 so the stability still very high but it's it's been sinking steadily it's now 104 it's nearly back to the 108 it was uh in the first shock of the um well it answers your question right yeah we'll do a, a shock and all hike and the day after on the few hours of trading it's beginning to slide again so you're chasing yourself it means it was not enough yeah so you think there's going to be more rate hikes and soon? I mean, if it starts to, I mean, could it go into further meltdown? Some people, Tim Ash was on Twitter and did a poll and um, half of his respondents predicted 300 to the dollar, uh, which I don't know, it seems extreme, but then we're really in uncharted territory here, aren't we? But I think that's what we were discussing earlier in terms of technocratic uh, approach and sort of trying to switch from that to facing the new reality. Because in the normal balance of payments crisis, what you would do, you would let the ruble slide uh, enough and then do massive hike, uh, calm the population, make sure there are no more further withdrawals and conversions. And then, this is, and then you have, a, say, sometimes in a very good situation because the economy contracts so much, you have maybe even three months when you can start taking start beginning taking off uh, hikes but we're not in that situation we did not manage to come the market with the rate hike uh, we're still uh, i don't know if one knows better but it's uh, it seems like the withdrawals are still uh, happening you know people didn't stop people don't believe in it and i think we possibly will have to go more into tightening of capital controls because you might not be able to hold it with the rate hikes this is not the regular situation Nice. At some point, rate hikes become meaningless because you're working through the expectations channel. And what is the expectations? What is the right expectation for people, uh, for grandmothers and grandfathers in the regions to stop withdrawing their cash from the bank? I do not know. Um, another topic I want to touch on is uh, external debts. And I think, I forget the number, I think 480 billion, something like that. Um, but there's been talk that there's a possibility that 
the state and the companies, yeah, they're going to claim force majeure. You've made it impossible for us to pay, so we're just not going to pay. It's not our fault, and, and walk away from that debt. But again, given the experience of 1998, where the government went out of its way, it didn't default per se to the technical restructuring five years delay, because you do, if you ruin that reputation, you've ruined it forever, and that affects your ability to go to the debt markets. But then again, what Elin has been saying, that's just like, that's out anyway. If you're going to go into a hermit star pariah economy, you can't go to the debt markets anyway. So why pay back this money? Just walk away from it. Do you think that's what's going to happen? I think politically, certain sanctions will be very difficult to take off. I think politically in the US, sanctions on sovereign debt will, will not come off for a very long time, even if there is meaningful de-escalation. So I think there's some sanctions that, you know, SWIFT or, or Central Bank, obviously, these are sanctions that if there is a meaningful de-escalation, I think we can roll back on those ones. But on things like portfolio debt, I think that's that can be forgotten. And I think, Ben, you're right. I mean, in 1998, it was a very different objective. You know, there was subjective to reintegrate with global capital markets. Mm -hmm. There was a sort of unsuccessful, but still IMF programs mm -hmm. with that objective. You know, all international community was trying to come in and try to see how we can make it more integrated in the global capital markets and, and trade. But now the objective seems to be the opposite. So, um, so then uh, your priorities, the government as the authorities always first and foremost should be local citizens, local, uh, especially individual deposits. And the, your last priority is a foreign debt. And that's why you see uh, defaults on foreign debt and maybe not on the domestic debt. Ivan, um, yeah. specific question about can, you. Can is... I, yeah, I'm sorry, Ben, can I just uh, uh, share ahead. my opinion on the default issue? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think that uh, Putin will do everything to avoid any defaults because, you know, we, we know that he personally hates defaults, you know, and his uh, policies of early uh, 20s uh, mm. were very much in response to, you know, uh, 1998 state def uh, default on state debts. Uh, so when he started to, you know, to build those fiscal buffers and so on. Uh, and to reduce the uh, external debt. Uh, so we have relatively small total external debt uh, in Russia, uh, including corporate debt. Um, we have re really um, some provisions in Russian state corporates, Eurobonds issues, for example, Gazprom's issues, which uh, allows them you know, to repay investors in rubles, for example, instead of dollars if the ability to pay in dollars will be impaired. Mm. Uh, so, and, um, so I think that's, uh, that's not Putin's strategy, you know, to announce some selective default, you know, uh, as a country. Can I ask? Yeah. But, but I'm sorry, I just, just as well. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yes, but, but there is a, a risk that, you know, uh, Russia's just would be not unwilling, but would be, uh, unable, you know, to pay debts due to some technical uh, difficulties related to sanctions, of course. And actually, I should say that um, currently, probably the wording of U.S. sanctions, I will stop short of saying this because I, I'd like to probably report on this, but, uh, you know, the current sanctions wording from the U.S. actually prevents U.S. investors from uh, getting, for example, coupon payments or repayment mm. of Russian sovereign rebonds. So they will need to, they will have to probably issue some general license or uh, to clarify those sanctions wording to allow U.S. investors, if any, to receive uh, payments from Russia. I've US got North. a question from, from Max Hess um, specifically about selective defaults. I mean, are they going to be, 
are they going to do that? I mean, it's a way of striking back. So the, the bonds or financing for Nord Stream 2, for example, that they'll just claim like that was you know, your fault. It was a political act. And so uh, force majeure, we're not going to pay that. Or bonds related to spare bank and BTB, same thing. It's like, you know, you targeted us for political motivation and we shouldn't be expected. And so we'll see a general willingness to meet obligations, but on specific cases like that, where they claim it's political, that they'll punish back by just saying, right, we're going to walk away from whatever it is, $100 million. That's your fault. Yeah. yeah, I think there is probably a risk of some selective defaults, uh, given the dire situation with, you know, fixed liquidity right now. Well, probably yes, but I uh, just did not think about it really much, for example, as related to Nord Stream 2. Well, I will need to think it over, really. If this scales up, is there a possibility of retaliation of like Gazprom for once actually using its gas as a political weapon and cutting Europe off? Because um, Elena, we, we said before that, that um, Europe can't do without Russian gas. It would cause a massive, massive energy crisis as soon as like next September, the prices would go. We had $2,000 per thousand cubic this, this year. You know, we'd be talking about 20,000 because there's, Europe has no choice. And also, of course, for the global commodity prices, if, dollar, if uh, oil price goes to 150 or 200, you know, you will mm. feel the pain in the US where everybody is driving, especially lower income and there is no other infrastructure to get the jobs. And it's a huge part of the consumer basket here. Um, so there's definitely sort of political and global economic uh, implications of that. But that to me means that you can continue tightening on the financial sector. You can mm. continue squeezing out the financial sector, drying it up and just leaving the carve out just for trade of oil and gas. I mean, mm. Iran for a while had their embargo, was uh, was very focused uh, specific products. The only difficulty here with Russia is that one has to go very seriously down the list of all the products that Russia exports because then there are nuances. We all remember Rosal, fertilizers, mm. you know, so then you need to think very carefully. European Union has been working on their strategic dependencies and trade, especially after COVID. You know, they've started working on their economic sovereignty from Trump on China, not so much from Russia, but uh, now, um, as you say, now it's galvanized uh, to try to diversify. And they point out that there are not only oil and gas, but other strategic uh, exports that Russia has. Uh, but it's not inconceivable that there is a list, it's trade embargo just to that list, and then the rest of the financial sector is squeezed out. Because what worries me, it's all becoming extremely unpredictable. And um, I did a blog, just raised the specter, I mean, Russians could, and maybe rightly justified in so much as, um, well, they, they could say that this is an act of economic war, that we're now at economic war with Russia. Von Leiden specifically said these sanctions are designed to do maximum damage. They're designed to degrade um, the Russian economy to reduce growth. And that's not what sanctions normally are for. And that sanctions are like, it's supposed to be a diplomatic tool whereby you change someone's uh, way of behaving and they're supposed to be structured. Like if you do this, then we'll take that one off. These are an act of war in so much as they're specifically designed to undermine the Russian economy. And if the Russians, and they've mentioned this, they haven't said anything yet while the Ukraine thing is going on. But there's a distinct possibility that they will turn around and say, right, you just declared economic war on us and we're going to strike back and cut you off from gas and plunge Europe then into an energy crisis. This, this could all go very pear-shaped if these peace talks in Ukraine fail. But I, I, are we just, I mean, Ivan, you're sitting in Moscow, you must yeah. have a feeling. Do you, do you think that's possible that we go to full economic war with retaliation on, extreme retaliation on the Russian side? Because they're gonna take this as an extreme attack. 
Yep, sure. I, I think we are actually quickly approaching to this phase. Um, actually, uh, as we see it from Moscow, you know, we see that the um, strategy of sanctions as a deterrent has clearly failed uh, in the West. Mm. Uh, so uh, they have demonstrated uh, lately the dramatic shift, uh, the, sh the dramatic shift of uh, uh, their approach to sanctions. So they really punish Russia now, and they probably they uh, would stop short of you know openly suggesting uh, that they want damage for I don't know Russian people, Russia general population. But actually, from, we see from their measures, from their decisions, that uh, they really want to hit hard the broader economy. Uh, for example, there has been unprecedented um, ban on um, you know European exports of aircraft to Russia, uh, and they you know, explicitly said that they want to, you know, to make, uh, uh, you know, um, movements, uh, travels, travel within Russia more difficult. Um, so um, the ban on export of, uh, you know, technologies, of course, yeah. will hit hard uh, because, you know, there are already shortage, uh, already suspension so just... of deliveries from, you know, chip makers and so on. So in Russian, people are actually fearing that, you know, their ability to buy you know, smartphones like iPhone will be impaired, uh, disrupted, so, so on. Okay. Uh, so I think that, so... I think that the, the approach is clearly that they want, you know, uh, Russian population uh, will suffer a bit because, you know, probably that this is naive, of course, mm. but they think that, you know, this will help uh, them <laughs> to uh, rise against Putin or so on. Uh, well, that, that was actually the last topic we were in the, the, the last 10 minutes. And um, I was talking to an investor friend of mine in the States uh, who was listening to a um, uh, State Department briefing. And they're talking there yesterday about the possibility of palace coup. And also the people are very unhappy. All the Russian friends I have I've talked to, they're just in shock. They don't want this. They're just, this is pointless. There's no support amongst the people for this war. And also from talking to my diplomat friends, they say again, amongst the soldiers on the Russian side in Ukraine, there's a lack of morale that they're going through the motions, but they're like, why are we here? Why are we attacking Ukraine? These are our brothers. But specifically um, looking at the business which Russia has relied on to you know, make this transformation, their dreams have just been destroyed in so much as we just had a, a year, an IPO boom, a dozen IPOs, made those guys billionaires. The pipeline has at least another dozen companies in it. And what you've just done, uh, what you've just said to Russia's entire business elite is like, it's over, you're finished. You can't IPO, you're not gonna be a billionaire. You didn't get out in time. You're gonna have to serve the local markets gonna be shrinking and depressed. And that all sets you up for a revolution. I mean, we've already had Derry Pasca and Friedman and Chubais come out publicly criticizing it, kind of mild, but they did. But, um, and the, the rest of the corporate Russia said almost nothing, but they're terrified. We tried to have a podcast with some Russians uh, last week, and they actually pulled out as soon as the war happened. They're just like, it's a hot potato. We don't want to go there. I mean, don't, do you think the, the chances of like a, Popular revolution, maybe not. Uh, an elite revolution, maybe yes. Uh, a palace coup, maybe also. I don't know. I, I, what are the chances of that? Yes. Well, I personally don't believe in you know palace coup or popular revolution right now. But I think that we clearly 
see uh, many signs of you know ruptures within the business and political elites uh, and uh, of officially of course uh, everybody is united uh, around mm -hmm. Putin but uh, you know informally we see that and we read it from some you know uh, well well uh, people who know it uh, that there is some mm, confusion and disarray within the elites for example you have uh, you know, the financial economic block of the government, people like uh, Nabiulina or uh, presidential aide Oreshkin, uh, the former economic development minister, who of course, you know, did not commit to uh, correct the, I don't know, geopolitical mistakes of their leader, you know, uh, and they did not want to, you know, to, uh, to engage in crisis management of the economy, you know, in wartime. War uh, so there are clearly signs of you know disarray and confusion, um, and uh, of course the business elites are too very unhappy about this. Just yesterday, the European Union designated uh, I don't know more than a dozen of Russian oligarchs, you know, like Mikhail yeah. Friedman, Mordash Severstalis, Mordashov, and so on. Mm -hmm. So and uh, in response to that, they uh, today they have to you know to start resigning from their positions in the boards of this, those companies, I think that we will have, we will see more and more divestments uh, uh, of these oligarchs from their assets and some schemes, you know, to uh, isolate them from sanctions. So they'll just leave, they, they won't resist, they'll just leave, they'll just give up and say like, we had a good run, you know, I made my money, happily I've put a big chunk in Switzerland, which is also actually joined the sanctions regime, so it's not even safe there, um, and just leave. The, the, there's, they can't do anything, I mean, you know, in a way, the sanctions on the oligarchs are pointless because they actually don't have any power. Uh, and all yeah. you're doing is lashing out at rich people who made their money. Well, I think Go on ahead. the sanctions front, it's important to remember that it can be something to deter. It can be something, something to impose costs. And that's one of the legitimate objectives mm. of the sanctions. It can be something to change uh, course of uh, somebody's action as well. And if you talk, look about imposing costs, that's the, one of the sort of academically more proven ways of effectiveness of sanctions you know if you talk about the change of course of government or deterrence i mean that's because relationship there becomes a bit more tenuous so um so having failed the, the deterrence i think it's absolutely natural that you just impose cost you impose the cost of certain action mm. and you could have done that i think it's a legitimate uh, sort of objective of sanctions and also an objective that at least have proven to work have worked in the past that you can impose yeah. cost I've always said um, the individual sanctions don't work, they're useless. However, collectively, what they've done is forced Putin in to build this fiscal fortress, to run an austerity budget, to build up massive reserves, and that kept the potential growth at 2%. And what this new lot of sanctions do is turn the screw sufficiently so you're actually going to make Russia shrink and uh, wither as a result of this stagnate, um, which is a significant change. Uh, in that sense, it seems that Putin has massively miscalculated uh, how far and how, how hard the, uh, the West response will be. Whether there's any chance if there's a quick deal and resolution, I mean, relatively few people have died in Ukraine so far, the damage is relatively limited. Whether some of this comes off and there's some sort of recovery, but I think, like you said, Elena, the, it's the damage is already done. I mean, Russia's in a new place entirely as of uh, Monday or Sunday, uh, and there's going to be a long recovery, if any. So, guys, look, we're out of time. I'd like to thank 
very much, uh, Elena Rebakov from Johnny and Ivan Zakachev, who are jumping in at the last minute. I was trying to persuade him to do it. He was complaining he's so busy to take the time out to actually talk to us for an hour. Fantastically interesting. It really is a very confusing time. Um, but thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for those watching, apologies for the technical problems. We still haven't got this completely ironed out. But um, for those of you on Twitter Spaces who missed a bit of what Ivan was saying, you can go to our YouTube channel. Um, if you go to this page, intellinews.com slash welcome, there's several links there, um, including the YouTube channel, where there is a recording which should already be up as soon as we press stop to this where you can go back and review what he said and probably with better sound quality than you have here on Twitter Spaces. There's also, I encourage you to sign up for our daily digest email, Editor's Picks. Comes out mid-morning um, with the best stories we've had from the last 24 hours. At the moment, it's entirely dedicated to the Ukraine crisis, the war. Uh, and in addition, we have correspondence all over the region. So not only are we covering the specifics of Ukraine, Russia, but we're also looking at the regional reaction out of Central Europe, out of the Balkans, out of uh, Central Asia, about what everyone's saying and how it's affecting their economies. Um, that's for free, you should sign up. And if you're really interested, then take the two week trial to our premium service um, where there's even more detail drilling down into the micro and business aspects of all of this. So once again, thank you for joining me. I guess we're gonna have to do another one of these pretty soon as the situation is still unfolding very fast. Until then, take care, all the best.